This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Hello, college sports fans, and welcome to the Primetime Podcast. My name is Ricky Widmer, and as always, I'm joined by the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And Brandon, today, we're kind of starting the podcast off on, I'm going to say a somber note, a... It's a topic that we knew about during the summer, during football. However, it kind of got, to me, overshadowed by the beginning of football season and how excited we were for the upcoming football season. But now with football over, with the news that has come out about the Louisville Cardinals, the men's basketball team that they are self-imposing, a one-year postseason ban for 2016, and there's still an ongoing investigation by the NCAA that is, this is all about the alleged recruiting scandal at the school. It, it's huge, and this is what we're going to start the podcast on. We're obviously going to talk National Signing Day and some bracketology later on, but with everything that we know right now about this ban... Louisville's not playing in the tournament this year. What does it mean moving forward for the Louisville Cardinals? You know, I I think first of all, first of all, I want to start off by saying I think this is horrible. I think it's horrible for the players who had absolutely nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. I think that it's just horrible especially for the transfers who came in in their senior year. Damian Lee and Trey Lewis were the graduate transfers, and they're the team's top lead, the two leading scorers on the team. And they're not going to the conference tournament. Mm-hmm. They're not going to the national tournament. And they currently, the Louisville Cardinals, are currently ranked number 13. They were well on their way to a great tournament for both of them. I think it's disgusting. But I think going forward, this does not help Louisville. It does not help them that this happens. I I think that people will look at them and say, hey, did they have their stuff together? And right now it's looking like, no, they don't. You know, you've got a a coach saying, you know, he doesn't think that this should happen. You've got a self-imposed ban. But you understand. Mm -hmm. People have to understand the self-imposed ban. If they don't self-impose a ban on themselves, the NCAA is going to do, well, they're going to do it anyways, but they're going to do a full investigation and they're going to do a ban, an NCAA ban, which would be much worse than the ban that Louisville is doing themselves for this season. I just think at the end of the day, what is it doing? It's punishing the players and it's punishing a lot of players who had nothing to do with it. And that is not right. Well, and I mean, to me, the first thing that I think of, and this kind of goes back to the origin of everything that went on. If you're sitting there going, Ricky, I don't know the details. What are they? Basically, there was Katrina Powell published a book, and she was a former escort, and she was hired by then assistant at the time, Andre McGee. He was actually, in the ESPN article, it actually calls him a staffer, so... To me, that's less than an assistant. He could have been an assistant, but in the article, it's a staffer. And this staffer, McGee, 
hired dancers to strip and have sex with recruits and players while they were on campus. Like, a big recruit comes, what's the best way? Hey, let's hire some dancers to see if we can get them to come to Louisville. And when the report first came out, they were throwing big names everywhere. Terry Rosier, Kevin Ware. It's like all these names, like, oh, yeah, they they were a part of it when they were recruited on campus. There were pictures that outside the line had everywhere. And when I first heard of the story, my first thought was, I know Rick Pitino, Coach Rick Pitino said that, hey, I had no idea this was going on. And my first thought was, okay, you may not have, but you needed to. The reason being, you are the head coach of this basketball team. When there's something like this going on, you have to know. And it's like if you're, and I know there's some things where it's like, okay, well, it wasn't happening in the athletic conference, or it wasn't happening in the athletic building, so how would I know? There's the good coaches that just know. Do you think that Coach K, a Coach Izzo, would not have a pulse on what his staffers are doing with players, what players are doing. I mean, you can't keep surveillance on them 24-7, but my first thought was Patino had to know. And to me, I would have, my first thing was, Patino, sit out the season. That was my first thought, just sit out the season. Put the suspension on yourself. Then you don't hurt the players. Because, Brandon, you hit a great point. These two graduate transfers, I'm using them as the example, they're the ones that get hurt the most. Because after this year, they don't have any more eligibility. They don't get to play for that. They don't get the moment of, we talk about different championships, like, oh, man, this is what makes it so great. And the thing that makes college basketball's tournament so great is to be able to go through all these games that you this grinder that you have to go through just to get to the championship and then win it cut down the nets while the confetti's coming down and what's playing over the speakers one shining moment makes it just for those college kids makes it one of the best things that I'll never experience that's for sure cuz my college days are well over and my basketball career didn't really get a kickstart like I hoped it would as it ended very early in my career. But now there's, I'm looking at an article now on ESPN where it basically says that Rick Pitino calls the system broken for punishing college sports programs. You know, here's the worst thing is that maybe Louisville doesn't win the national championship. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't get to the Final Four. But we'll never know because they took away their chance. Mm -hmm. That's what they did. They took away an opportunity from these guys. They swiped it out, took away the rug from underneath them. Now what are they playing for? What, What are they playing for? I mean... You playing to win? Got a big game against Duke. You know, when we're recording this right now, Louisville's mm-hmm. playing Duke. I, I said to Ricky, we got two big games tonight. Louisville-Duke, Texas-Oklahoma. One of them matters. 
Doesn't matter for Louisville right now. See, and that's the thing where usually I'd be right there alongside you, Brandon. You know what? It doesn't matter. Go ahead and lay down. You guys aren't going anywhere. You guys aren't going to be playing for the postseason. But, and I know it happened before the ban, they go ahead and beat the Tar Heels from North Carolina. Cool. We got another thing on our resume. Oh, okay. The resume doesn't matter now because on, on Friday when the school was like, there's the ban, you guys can't play in any of the postseason against Boston College, who let's just be honest, Boston College is not a very good basketball team this year. They are a 7-16 and overall team, and they are 0-10 in ACC conference play. Louisville could have laid an egg right there and said, you know what? We're not gonna like we're not gonna try. What's the point? They come out and beat them seventy nine to forty seven. I know what you're saying, but Ricky, it's Boston College. But if I'm Rick Patino, I'm sitting there telling my boys, let's go out there and play every game like there is no postseason ban. Cause could you imagine them in the next like remaining games that they have? Here are some teams that they can pretty much ruin chances for. They play Duke twice. If they beat Duke twice, Duke is ruined, in my opinion. Ruined. Outside of the top 25 for the first time since I can ever remember. Now you play a team that basically everyone's expecting to just lay down and do nothing. You can kill Duke's season. Duke would still probably make the tournament, but Duke may get pushed into that, like, they may be a play-in game, which Coach K playing in one of the play-in games for the tournament Seems unheard of. You've got number 12, Miami. Yeah, you can't knock them that far down, but if you beat them, you're going to knock them down. And then you've got Virginia who, yeah, they beat you at your house, but what a way to just ruin their senior night right before they get to go onto the postseason. I think my main point is you could be the biggest spoiler in the ACC. I was just going to say Louisville is the biggest spoiler in college basketball Mm -hmm. right now. One thing that I want to pose out there, Ricky, why now? Why now for this girl to come forward? It's been going on apparently for a while. Why mm-hmm. now? And why why is it that it seems to always happen like this? You've this stuff stuff like this has happened before. This isn't the oh uh, aha moment. Oh, mm-hmm. it happens in college basketball. Who knew? You know, this has happened before. Why does it seem like all the time there's always significant time that goes by and then they come out? Is it because, oh, now this is a prominent time for Louisville. Let's ruin them. I mean, what's the thinking? What is it? I have no idea. And I just right now into Google, I typed in Katrina Powell because... The only thing I can remember is I remember this first being on outside the lines before, like before we were really thinking about college basketball when it was, I, to me, it felt like football was just getting started. And I just clicked on an ESPN article where the headline reads former Louisville recruit about his visit. It was like a strip club. The date on that October 20th. So it was in October around October, late October, early November-ish when the outside the outside the lines report came out where the book was published and to me that is the big reason 
of why now because in this article that like i said is dated october 20th of 2015 it says in here and i quote a book breaking the cardinal rules basketball and the ex escort queen that's what the book is called published this month by self-described former escort katrina powell so in my mind the only thing i can think of of course i'm not katrina powell i'm not going to speculate why then why now I'm feeling if it says right here the book was published when she came out about it, she was waiting for all the thoughts to be published in the book so that she could say, you know what, here's, I'm going to tell you about it, but for everything else, read the book because the book probably had a lot more than what she said to Outside the Lines. You're going to get this book? You're going to read this book? Me? No. The reason why I'm not going to read this book is... Everything that I kind of heard for me is ludicrous. And if this is if this is true, Louisville, I'm not going to the big question is, and I'll pose this out, is if it's 100 percent true, which it seems like some of it may be true. The first thing I think of, the first thing that pops into my head, maybe it's the football fan in me, but death penalty. Everyone was talking about it with when the Penn State scandal happened. Every single scandal we've had, people immediately bring up the death penalty. That could be in the back of the NCAA's mind. I won't read the book because if I was a Louisville Cardinal fan, I'd read the book. Because I would be invested. This would be my team. For me, as an outside college basketball fan... I don't even want to think of that stuff. Maybe you can see that as me kind of not turning a blind eye to it, but I'm going to let the NCAA, I'm going to let Louisville just kind of manage this out. This is not a spot for me to come in and read the book and then try to be an expert on this so that I can make a ruling. Rick Pitino, great coach. Great coach. I mean, his record... Speaks for itself. Does this tarnish his legacy? But he's had his own personal issues. Mm-hmm. He has not been faithful. He has had his problems, his demons. Did he know about this? Did he turn a blind eye to it and say, whatever we have to do, we do? See, and that's the question. That's the huge question about this is, did Patino know what was going on? And to me, the first I said the first thing I think of, let's say the answer to that is no. Then why? I mean, it's easy for me who I've never been. I didn't play college basketball. Never was a assistant coach. Wasn't a graduate assistant. Probably never going to be a head coach. Let's be honest. So you can easily say, well, Ricky, you don't know what you're talking about. But the one thing I do know from being around college basketball as much as I have with watching the game, me and you, Brandon, in college and still now calling basketball games, being like able to talk to head coaches and assistant coaches over the years, the ones that I've talked to and seen on TV, the greats, the one thing I've never questioned about them is 
Huh. I, that, that just looks like a guy that doesn't know what's going on with his program. And I'm going to bring Coach K into the example. I don't look at Coach K or Roy Williams and go, man, those two probably don't know what's going on off the court with their teams. They probably do. Let's bring, like, with Roy Williams, he probably knew what was going on with North Carolina and their scandal of, it was something with, like, tests and passing classes and letting the guys get the grade so that they could play. It's kind of hard for me to see and say, how did you not know anything? But if you did not know anything, my first question is why? Why didn't you know? You're the head coach. That's what I think. I, I, But I do. I will say I find it hard to believe that a head coach doesn't know about things happening in his program. Mm-hmm. That, you know, as many as many assistants as there are on the team and staffers will say, you know, you, you, you people talk. People talk. I mean, come on. He knows what his, what his uh, players are doing after a big win. He knows what his players are, are, are doing. And you're you know? telling me these guys, he, these players weren't talking about it? Yeah. In the locker yeah, room? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Hey, man, did you hear what went? Dude, did you hear what was going on? Or word of mouth with, uh, just word of mouth with recruits. And now it's even more advanced with Twitter. And social media and being able to back in the day, like if a recruit lived in Kentucky, he could probably pick up the phone and call a recruit that's like from California going to the, trying to go to the same school. But it it's just so much easier for a guy now. Let's say a guy in Kentucky visits Louisville. Oh, well, this guy all the way in California is also thinking about Louisville. Let me send him a direct message. Let me send him a tweet. Dude, you got to check out Louisville. And word of mouth is spreading. And the players talking in the locker room to where I'm sitting there going, how did you not know? Rick, how did you not know? There's there's plenty of signs. There's things that happen. Like you said, I mean, guys talk. They talk in the locker room. They're, they're proud of it. You know? They do something You're like about that. The players. They're proud of it. Yeah. They're like. Dude, you know, I mean, come on. We've, we, like you said, uh, even on a smaller scale, we know how the guys are. It's the college may like, and I mean that this can open up an entire different just world. But when you're an 18 year, I'm not even gonna say a college athlete. I'm gonna say even for the recruits, even like for a freshman in college, because really when you're a freshman in college, that first semester, you're still like a high schooler, let's be honest. You're not really a college student to me until that second semester, maybe halfway through that second semester. And when you're in high school, and if you experience that, you're thinking like, yeah, man, I'm pretty cool. That was pretty cool. I'm going to go to Louisville because that's what happens. I was just going to say, going along with that, it's just if you if you went there and you were there for part of it, you took part in it, that was just something you did. Mm-hmm. You didn't think about it. It just happened. It was part of the it's a part of the culture. It was part of the culture. That's what you did. You didn't think twice. And nothing was happening, so it was okay. And as a new guy coming in, like you said, you just did it. Not that it's good, but a lot of times 
no one's thinking of the repercussions because mm-hmm. you're not thinking you're going to get caught. But no one thought that Katina Powell was going to write a book. No. But nobody thought that. And she sure did. And you know, it's the one thing that makes this whole thing just kind of come full circle is the guy who there was the hall that it happened in, the Billy Minardi Hall, an on-campus dorm that I believe when they did the first Outside the Lines report, they said that was the dorm. Like, if you were an athlete, that's where they put you because they tried to keep all the athletes together in the same dorm. Who had a close bond to Billy? Rick. It just makes you... It just makes you wonder. It makes you ask a lot of questions. And, you know, that's the problem, I think, is that there's too many questions out there that people feel haven't been answered. There's there's too many questions out there that, you know, people are asking. And it's, it's not a – it's as they never are. It's not a cut-and-dry situation. It's not. It's not, this happened, it's done. It's, this happened, well, how to get started? Who allowed it? How long to keep going? Did they know the whole time? Did they know part of the time? You know, who was all involved? Well, you know, well, how I'm often not, did they come? Can I throw it's, it's, something it's, out You know, there? It's, it's, there's so that many questions. Mm-hmm. How many of those are getting answered? Well, and you know what makes it, to me, I'm going to say, you know what makes it worse? I'm looking at an article right now on ESPN where the I'm going to leave a description down below in the description if you want to see it. It's called Louisville's self-imposed band is only the beginning ESPN article. And in it, they say, and I quote, though Louisville would not reveal where it was in its investigative process, the Cardinals are nowhere near the finish line. End quote. So they took this band said, you know what, we're banning us from the postseason, self-imposed, and they were nowhere near finished with their internal investigation. To me, that's a huge red flag, as red as the school's colors. And I'm sitting there thinking, holy crap, there's going to be some bad things coming. Because the school has yet to receive a notice of allegations. They've yet to be informed by, like, the... NCAA that, okay, we're informing you of the allegations, we're going forward. It's just both NCAA and Louisville were doing their own investigations, and Louisville, nowhere near the finish line, bans their players from the postseason. That's not good. It's not good, but I still think at the very end of the day, these players got screwed, and they're getting screwed. Any situation that happens like this, and you put a ban on, for the players that are happening, like like Penn State. I mean, you go back to that. I mean, it's another, that was NCAA, you know, that was an NCAA ban. But you're screwing the players, a lot of whom, you know, it, they, they were nowhere near any part of it. You know, it's horrific. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horrific. I, I think that these young men are being stripped of basically... 
what they deserve. They deserve to be able to have that chance. And as I said earlier, they don't have it anymore. Not right now here with Louisville. And they did that to themselves. Their own school took that chance from them. That's not right. You are killing a young man's dream. Can you live with yourself? Can you sleep at night? You feel better now? Fuck you. I'm going to make, I'm going to say one more thing. And this goes back to, to me, my head is around the same thing. How did you not know? Blah, blah, blah. I've said it so many times. But here's another aspect of it. This guy, Andre McGee, who's on your staff. How do you not know what's going on with your staff? And if you did find out, like, oh, this is going on, how was he not fired right away? That's the big questions, and I, there's so many unanswered questions, and I do believe, I do believe the ESPN article, the headline I read, it's this is just the beginning. We're not, we're, it, they're this right, we are nowhere beginning. near the end, especially with the things that they've talked about. They've put this ban down, and they're probably not even halfway through an investigation. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it, many, that's not good. How many times have we seen schools in the midst of a um, investigation and then they go, oh, you know what? We, we put down a ban. Oh, you know what? You know what? We, we, we banned ourselves. We banned ourselves. NCAA, you don't have to do anything. And the NCAA goes, really? We don't have to do anything? Guess what? We're going to do something. It's just that simple. And you know who else I feel sorry for? The fans. I mean... Not as much as the players. The players are who I feel the most sorry for because there are seniors that will never, like, next year for the senior players, they don't get to come back. They don't get to come back. Whereas the fans, yeah, I feel sorry for you fans. Trevor, one of our loyal followers to and subscribers to Most Valuable Podcast, I feel sorry for you guys too because this team Brandon, I mentioned to you before we hit the record button, this team was a in November 50 to 1 odds in Vegas to win it all. By February, they were 15 to 1. This team was trending up. Each month that they revealed like new odds, they were getting closer and closer to being favorites in March Madness. And now the fans don't get to experience. They could have had another championship run to look forward to. And now, now you don't get, you don't get to see that. And I mean, what's even, what's even worse is you look at the ACC standings right now. Who's at the top? Not North Carolina, Louisville, the number one seeded team, will be absent from the ACC tournament. It's just a shame, and it's. Things like this are not good for college basketball. They're not good at all. Well, we're going to move on. We're going to go to our second topic of the podcast, and we're going to be talking some National Signing Day kind of recap. But before we talk about who went where, who had the best classes, Brandon, I got one simple question for you, and I got this question after watching PTI the Thursday after National Signing Day, and I know you're going to have fun with this question. Does it even matter? Does NSD, National Signing Day, even matter? 
I'll tell you in three years. That's when you find out. Because the only time that you find out if you're a real winner or loser is the players get out there and compete. They don't do that. You didn't win. Just because you got the guy who's supposed to be the best. You know, Houston Texans, they got Jadavian Clowney. They got him in every freaking ailment that he ever had. They've got him right now. Look like a good signing. Nope. So that's what it comes down to. Who's the real winner and who's the real loser? Give it a give it a while. Because then you can tell them. Because after National Signing Day, all it is right now, smokescreen. That's all it is. Ah, you got the tap recruit. I think. Maybe. Nah. You know, that's basically mm-hmm. what it is. Because how can you say that, you know, all these all these teams, one through five, ah, they won National Signing Day. They may have won National Signing Day. But at the end of the day, does that translate to wins? Does that translate to any championships? That's what I think. See, the way I look at it is, and this is... I kind of have a little bit of a pro spin on it, and by pro spin, I mean NFL spin to it because, you know, I'm on this podcast. I'm also on the onside kick with Mark Weber, and I'm going to throw out some some interesting facts for you. I've got a few of the recruiting classes in front of me, and I'm going to throw out some interesting names. In the year 2000... We had two recruits, according to 247sports.com, two recruits with a number one ranking. Adam Taliaferro had a pretty good year in the NFL right now, but really he's more of, he only got the start because of, you know, injury in Baltimore, the Ray Rice incident. Ray Rice isn't there. He was obviously the starter before getting kicked off the team. DJ Williams was the other one. You want to know who else was the second best recruit, a quarterback out of Louisiana? Don't even know who this guy is. Brock Berlin. Never heard of him. Number two recruit in 2001, Brody Coyle. What kind of a season? He went to Alabama. What kind of a season did he have in the NFL? I mean, you, you get the good ones. We're like number four that year. Reggie Wayne went to Washington. He did okay. What, what kind of a year did he have? Yeah, he had a pretty good year, or career, I should say, in the NFL. 2002. This is one where it's, okay, number one recruit got it right, Vince Young. That was a number one recruit where it's like, great. Number two, Lorenzo Booker. It's like, okay, I I know who Lorenzo is at least. But then you got one like the sixth overall recruit that went to Tennessee. Tennessee fans may be saying, Ricky, I remember who that was. Gerald Riggs Jr.? I don't know who that is. I'm running back. I'm going to side with you. I don't know. 2000 and we're going to jump to 2004 because my, or actually no, my 2003 did load up. Ernie Sims was the number one recruit in 03. It's like, okay, I know who that is. Andre Caldwell, number seven. Lamar Woodley was number four. It's like, okay, there's some guys up here. 2004, another number one. Number one and number two where it's like, okay, those guys are legit NFL stars. Number one, I'll give you a hint. He's on my favorite team, went to Oklahoma. It's kind of the bell cow on my team. Oh, 
Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson. Number two, I'll give you another hint. Uh, he plays for the Panthers right now, and he loves to drop footballs. Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn Jr., number two, went to Ohio State. Willie Williams was the third top recruit. And then looking at some recent ones, I mean, last year, the number one recruit, Trent Thompson, went to Georgia. Didn't really hear much from Trent. The one that I heard huge things about was you had like Malik Jefferson go to Texas. He had a pretty good year. We had um, Rosen. He was the one we talked about each and every week because he started for UCLA. It's like, to me, it's hit or miss with these guys. And I mean, I look at, mainly because of this, I look at Gray, who chose to go to Michigan over Clemson. He chose to go to Michigan rather than play with Clemson, where it would basically be him and Lawrence, the number two recruit, sitting right there in the middle of the defensive line for the Tigers. And I'm looking and I'm going... Okay, he he might be able to make an impact day one, but how many times does a recruit come out and he makes an impact day one? I'm like, this is football. This isn't basketball. Basketball, I expect that. Football, I don't. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I think that that's the thing, though. And and it kind of goes back to, I think it kind of goes back to, to what I said. And you had some perfect examples of that. You know, some of these guys... Who? Who? Mm-hmm. You know, some you, you've got some good ones, but I, I I think that really it's it's all about give it some time. You can't really make a decision right away because you may say, oh, today taking a bad example here because they always win. Now today Alabama won. You know they won National Signing Day. You know someone could say that, but then let's say they don't pan out. Alabama still winning National Signing Day? Uh Uh-uh. The Heisman Trophy winner from this past year, 2013 class he was. Guess what overall ranked recruit Derrick Henry was coming out of high school? I'll give you a hint. He's in the top 15. 13. Close. He was 12. The number one, that was the Kemdichi year. So, I mean... Looking at, I'm looking at the 2013 because that's the most of these guys are the guys that we're looking at in mock drafts. Kamdichi one, Jalen Smith two, you're fighting Irish. Vernon Hargraves the third, the best pure man-to-man corner yeah. in this draft. Mm-hmm. Laramie Tunsil could be the number one overall draft. However, you get guys like Reuben Foster went to Alabama. I haven't heard anything from him. Matthew Thomas, Kenny Biglow. And, I mean, Derrick Henry's there, Christian Hackenberg, Laquan Treadwell. You've got Kendall Fuller. To me, it's – and I just see it's like, okay, the individual recruits, I don't really – like, oh, cool. The number one recruit went to Michigan because the whole thing I sit with is, okay, what are you going to do on the field? To me, I pay more attention – to the team rankings. And according to ESPN had Florida State as the winner for National Signing Day. However, 24-7 Sports has your team. You're defending national champions at number one with Alabama. Here's the top five from five to one. Michigan, Ohio State, LSU, Florida State, Alabama, according to 247sports.com. 
Now, let me tell you something interesting. I, I, you have probably seen this. Others may not have. Fan cited has Jim Harbaugh as a loser for National Signing Day because of the fact that 29 total recruits. Well, I was just going to say that they have him as a loser because of his dishonesty. Okay. So they, they say that uh, a couple of recruits stepped forward saying that they hadn't been in much contact with any of the coaching staff. Uh, one Rashad Weaver said Harbaugh told him there was a 50-50 chance that he'd be signing with Michigan, mm-hmm. and he had been con- committed for seven months. And then another one was with a, a four-star offensive lineman who'd been committed, and that was uh, in uh, November of 2013, so Brady Hoke was still there. Then he was informed that his scholarship had just been pulled. There was no there was no given reason. wasn't told why you know there was the sudden move, anything like that. And it just goes away. I mean, that that kind of stuff... Maybe not so good, you know. Doesn't reflect very positively well, and it just, on, uh, it on, on Jim back, on Jim Harbaugh. Well, you say this stuff, and it like my first thought when you're reading this is, okay, that doesn't surprise me. The reason why it doesn't surprise me is look at why the Niners got rid of Jim Harbaugh because he wasn't a player's guy. So I mean, just because he goes to college, you expect him to be a player's guy. I mean, that's the kind of you can say that's the kind of image that we were getting from the beginning of this college season. But no, with everything that I saw with him in the 49ers, do I like Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, I think he's one hell of a coach. But I don't expect him. I I expect Jim Harbaugh to be in it for Jim Harbaugh. Shitty interview, too. I mean, go ahead and listen to that Cowherd interview we talked about during the Big Ten preview. That was our Big Ten preview podcast. I mean, it's he's he's a clunker of an interviewer. And I, I mean, he's not a clunker of a head coach, but he's no, he's gonna, very good. He's going to look out for Jim Harbaugh. And it kind of, I'm going to take a, um, an example from Sean Anderson of the Fast Break podcast. Here, he said that he's still in college. He was talking to one of the athletes in his sports management class or something like that, and the player's like, "Yeah, you know what? I, w- I wish the coach would, like, I wish coach would be more like connected to us, like." Ask us, hey, well, how's it going? Be like buddy, buddy. And Sean goes, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And they go, why? He goes, you're easier to cut. Not just cut, you're easier to replace. You're easier to just get rid of because there's no connection to you. And to me, I I wouldn't be surprised if that's how Jim Harbaugh rolls because in the end of Jim Harbaugh, his biggest thing, and I mean it's the biggest thing in any team, is winning games. And he's going to do what's best for yeah. his program. Well, him, and, and, which is his program. And, and I was yeah. just going to say, and if that means possibly having to get rid of a player, mm-hmm. he wants to be able to do it and not have any feelings. Now, here's the big difference is I mentioned how the class rankings are a little different. 24-7 sports had Michigan at number six. ESPN had, or number five, ESPN has them at number six. The top five for ESPN from five up, Ohio State, Old Miss, LSU, Alabama, Florida State. And, I mean, the big thing you look at is who really won, which team really had the best class. And to me it seems like we're in a little bit of disagreement between Alabama and Florida State when I look at the different recruiting sites. Alabama has five 
are three five-star recruits, 14 four-stars, seven three-stars. Florida State has one five-star, 17 four-stars, and seven three-stars. 25 for FSU, 24 total for Alabama. To me, I look at the five-stars and I go, give it to Bama. They got more five-stars. They got more. Because the way I see stars is, the way I look at stars is not, oh, man, this guy's going to be a great pro guy. It's these are the guys that have a better chance to help you out day one, depending on your team's need, your depth, who goes where. So Alabama's got more guys to me that can help them day one. However, Florida State has more guys right there in the middle of the pack with the four stars. Yeah, good for them. (laughs) Brandon, there is, you guys don't know, or if you're new to the podcast, you don't know, there's stuff like this, Brandon, really let it loose. Like, this stuff is like, why does it, like, it's the title of the video. Why does this even matter? I wanted to say, let's just move on to the next topic, but I (laughs) thought that would be too mean. So uh, that's why I tried to show as much interest as I possibly could for Florida State. And, you know, seriously, golf clap off to them. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to go with Alabama. And and then again, what's new? And before we move on, I'm Don't just tell gonna me you're going to ask off. me another question no, about not, National Signing Day. I am Day. not going to ask you a number, another question for National Signing Day. Yeah, don't do that. The one thing I will do is the early on 2017 rankings, top five are Clemson, Baylor, Miami, Alabama, and OSU early on. That's from 5 to 1. But let's move on to that final topic, and it's our favorite. It's my favorite time of the year. I don't know if it's oh, your yeah. favorite. Okay. Oh, yeah. I didn't know if we were in agreement here. Favorite time of the year for both of us here on the Primetime Podcast. It's bracketology season. It's time talking on the bubble teams, who's going where, who's going to who. And right now looking at Joe Lenardi's. that's the one that I like to use as the main just kind of segment. I mean, CBS has a great bracketology as well, but Joe Lenardi's really my guy because Joe Lenardi, I look at his bracket, and he's just, he knows where to put him, and he knows what the committee is thinking most times. And his number one seeds right now, North Carolina, Iowa, Oklahoma, Villanova. But we're not talking about number one seeds here, Brandon. We're going to be talking about the guys who are on the bubble. And we can talk about last four in, the last four buys. We're obviously going to be talking the final four out and then the next out. But I want to start with the last four in. And the four teams we've got, these are the play-in guys. Where we have Syracuse, Seton Hall, Florida State, and Butler. And in the Midwest region, Joe Lenardi has one of those 11-seed play-in games being Syracuse and Seton Hall. And the other one in the South being Florida State versus Butler. So that's what that means. And the team I want to look at is Seton Hall. Because... Their team right now, let's be honest, we haven't talked about Seton Hall. We haven't really talked that much about the American unless it's the Villanova Hova. And right now, Seton Hall is 17-6, and 7-4 and four in the conference. And to me, I look at their schedule, and there's only one knock I have. There's one knock. You can't beat the ranked teams. They've lost to Villanova no matter where they are. They almost beat Villanova at home. But they lost to Villanova both at home on the road. You lose to Xavier on the road. 
You do beat Providence on the road. So I will give you that. You got one ranked team. But really, you're losing to most of your ranked teams, especially in the conference. And to me, you've got some key games coming up that you need to win. Two against Butler, a team that's right there with you. Winner of those, whoever sweeps that series, if they do, is going to get an extra nod in the bracketology. Then you get Providence at home. You beat them on the road. Cool. You can try to beat them at home. And you get a top five Xavier team at home. Yeah, I think that this Seton Hall team is an interesting one to watch. And they really just came on the radar for me today. Mm-hmm. Literally today. And Joe Lenardi has them projected right now as a number 11 seed. I think that, you know, they're they're third in the Big East, right behind Xavier and Villanova, of course. But what I like to see is, yeah, you don't like to see the losses to the ranked teams, but I like to see that they've at least been somewhat close. They've not been blown out. They haven't lost by, I don't think, more than nine points. So I, that's close enough. You know, you talked about how they almost beat Villanova at home, but they lost by one. Mm-hmm. It, it's been... It's been close games. That's what you want to see. Seven and four within the conference. I think that's respectable. But I do think that this stretch, very important. This game against Butler coming up on Wednesday, it's at home. You've got Butler at home right now. You can make a statement. You can show, eh, you know, we're not a team that's going to just stick around for a little bit and then, boom, gone. You can show that you're a team that's going to be there to stay if you can beat providence at home huge if you can beat xavier at home even bigger so you've got a tough stretch but an important one if you're seton hall and it's huge well and to me i'm looking at their non-conference wins right now and to me the best of their Non-conference wins are you got three of them. Georgia, Old Miss, that was a neutral site game, and then Wichita State. And me just eyeballing it. It's like, okay, cool, cool. Those are some good wins. Looking into it, though, the Georgia-Old Miss wins may not be. Record-wise, I look at Georgia and Old Miss's record, and I go, okay, those are two good wins. However, probably not super good as Georgia's a next four out team and Old Miss right now nowhere near the bracket. However, that Wichita State win, that's a good win. Then the reason why I'm saying that is, yeah, they weren't ranked at the time. They weren't the Wichita State team that we saw last year. But right now, Wichita State is a seven seed in Lenardi's bracket. So, boom, that's a nice win over a team that is right now in the tournament. Another good game is that Villanova game. You mentioned what they haven't lost more than by more than nine points this season. Well, they only lost to Villanova at home by a single point. To me, that's just as good as beating Villanova because I look at like Villanova and Xavier at the time when they at the time they played them where it was the one point loss. It was four. Xavier was the fifth team in the nation like they still are right now, no one's going to expect you to beat those teams. So as long as you keep it close, cool, okay, I can buy it. I can buy you. The only thing that Seton Hall has to do to make the tournament, they've 
gotta beat Georgetown, St. John's, and DePaul. Those three games cannot lose. Those are your must wins. You cannot lose. And they've got to at least split with Butler. You gotta split with Butler. So you gotta win those three games, at least split with Butler. And you have to take one against Providence or Xavier. You gotta win one. I agree. You've got to. That is what you have to do. Otherwise, uh, you got to make a deep run in the tournament. I was or just, in your conference tournament. I was. I was just going to say, if you had to lay out a strategic plan for Seton Hall, show me a little bit of st- st- that, strategery, as uh, George W. Bush would say. Strategize for me, Brandon. Absolutely, <laughs> that, but that's exactly what you have to do. Those would be the keys. Mm-hmm. You have to look at it. Here's your here's your checklist for you. You're going to the grocery store. <laughs> you gotta beat these teams. You gotta at least split with this one. Get me one of those and gotta get one of these. Don't All right, look, ready, break. Don't look at the candy bars. Those pack on the calories, Brandon. <laughs> but ultimately, that is what you've got yeah. to do. And I mean, looking over another team. Well, I mean, we talked about Seton Hall. Let's move over to Butler because they're also right there in Joe Lenardi's. Last four in with Butler right now, 16 and 7, 5 and 6 in the American. So they're not so hot right now. Non conference wins. I'm looking at them, Brandon. The biggest one that comes out to me December 19th, a neutral court site. You beat number nine, Purdue. Good for you. You also beat number 17, Cincinnati, on the road. Your only non conference loss, you lost to. A Miami-Florida team who wasn't ranked at the time. However, with how good the Hurricanes have been, that you can kind of say, okay, we'll let it slide because Miami has turned in to a good team. Conference play hasn't been that great, but when I look at their losses, the only bad losses you can say are maybe the Marquette, but Marquette's a 15-9 and team. They're 4-7. and in the conference, whereas you've got Creighton, who's 15 and 9, 6 and 5. So one below you, one above you. Maybe that Marquette win isn't the, that's the worst of the two. But what you need if you're Butler to get in is same as Seton Hall. You got to split. You have to at least split. But for Butler, I'm going to go the extra mile. You got to sweep those two games because you're technically below. Seton Hall, you got to sweep Seton Hall. You got to beat Creighton, Georgetown, and Marquette. Those are your three must wins. So you got to get the must win check. You got to, I'm going to say, sweep Seton Hall, and you have the harder test. You got to beat either Xavier at home or number one Villanova. Well, number one right now, Villanova. First time they've been number one in their team's history on the road February 20th. And I think the worst loss for Butler. I think it's that loss against Xavier because you didn't just lose. You lost by 18 points or 19 points, rather. For for mm-hmm. Seton Hall, you lost on the road. You lost 84 to 76. And you were right there. Villanova was only a one-point game, whereas the first time— I mean, it was a five-point loss for Butler, but a one-point loss looks— a one-point loss to the number four team— Looks a lot better than a five-point loss to the number 11 team. There's a lot on the line for both of these teams. Mm -hmm. There's more on the line for Butler. Well, Butler has to do more, in my mind, to get in. When Not only do they have to do more, like I said, they have to sweep Seton Hall, in my mind. They got 
I mean, if I'm looking, Xavier and Providence is easier than Xavier Villanova. That's what I'm trying to say. There's yeah. more pressure on Butler. Yeah, there's more pressure for them. Both, both to teams do have well. to do well, but there is more pressure on Butler when you look at what's happened and what has to happen going forward. Mm-hmm. I'll let you pick out of because we'll look at all the last four in. You want to go up north to New York and look at Syracuse, or we're going down south to uh, Tallahassee. Where do you want to go? Where are we going next, big guy? Let's go ACC. Both and of we'll them go are ACC. To, we're going to go. Uh, that's why I said let's go ACC. We're going <laughs> to go to Syracuse. Let's go to Syracuse. So right now. 16 and 8, 6 and 5 in the ACC. They're currently riding a three game win streak. They got a ton of lot. Like, I mean, to me, the big wins you beat 18 Connecticut, you beat 25, the Gigum. I believe that's the catchphrase. Gigum, is that right for the Aggies? Who cares? But they beat Texas AM, they beat UConn. The big losses. You've got number 13, Miami of Florida. You got number six, North Carolina. You got number 13, Virginia. However, the biggest one I'm circling with a huge pen, Brandon, you lose at St. John's. St. John's is a 17-loss team, has only won seven games. They have not won a single game in conference. That's a huge one for Syracuse, and I don't know if UConn, Texas A&M, and Duke, and and Notre Dame, their four ranked wins, are good enough to... I would have them as the first four out in my bracket. For me, for Syracuse, I think possibly one of their biggest wins now, Notre Dame. You didn't beat Notre Dame. Well, because Notre Dame... You beat Notre Dame. And Notre Dame just beat the number two team in the country in the Tar Heels. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. And and the people who, you know, are are sports people, which Mm -hmm. is who we do this show for, would know that, but I I think that uh, I think that that's probably their biggest win. And right now they're riding a three game winning streak, and it's interesting because they'll be playing against Florida State coming up later this and week. And hey, that's a, they've got Florida State twice. Who's that other bubble team we talked about? But I'm going to ask you this: We talked about Louisville earlier in the podcast. If Syracuse, I know Louisville's ranked number 13 as of right now, but if Syracuse beats Louisville on the road, although there's a postseason ban, is that still a quality win for them moving forward into the tournament? Or do you think that the committee looks at that as, okay, they beat Louisville, was Louisville really, and I know the game has to happen, but... Okay, was Louisville really playing that game because they don't have nothing to play no, for? No, I don't think it hurts them. I, th- I I don't think it hurts them at all. I mean, if Louisville's still ranked at that spot mm-hmm. or around that spot, it's it's a it'd be a great win for Syracuse. And I I hate to like feel the same like checkpoints that we've been looking at, but for each team, it's been the the same thing. For Syracuse, you've got Boston College, Pittsburgh, NC State. Those are your must-wins. You cannot lose any of those games. You either have to, to, in my mind, split the Florida State, and you got to beat Louisville or North Carolina. got to win one of them. I it's think the same thing as we talked about with the other two. Tough game for for Syracuse could be that Pitt game. That's what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that could be an interesting game. I think Pitt could give them a run, so that may be the toughest game down the stretch of the unranks. 
But then, of course, on the road in North Carolina right before you end the regular season at Florida State. And to me, that pick game, out of the must wins, that pick game is the most important because if we look at Florida State, the the last of the last four ends that we looked at, Pitt beat the Seminoles by two points. So if Syracuse is able to beat Pittsburgh, they can then look and go, okay, well, you know what? The committee, you should look at this because we technically beat Pitt when this team lost to it. But looking at the schedule for Florida State, the big part of the schedule, yeah, you lose to Iowa when they weren't ranked, but they were ranked now. The biggest non-conference loss was that Holstra loss that they had really early in the season. But it was so early enough to where they were able to come back from it, and they're in the position they are right now. To me, the big one was that game, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven-game stretch from January 2nd to the 23rd. Almost the entire month of January where you went two and five in that seven-game stretch. And, I mean, you played North Carolina, Miami, Florida, and you lost to Louisville, but the Pitt and Clemson losses, that hurts. Yeah, Louisville and Virginia may cancel out and just say, okay, you got through that stretch. But if I'm looking at Florida State, they don't really have, I mean, Miami of Florida, that's their, like, you've got to win that game, even because that's your only ranked game, and you got to split Syracuse. The other ones, it's like, yeah, you, you, like you beat Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Duke, and Notre Dame. But it's like you don't have as many state. Like out of the four we talked about, this is the team that has the least of the, wow, that's a really good win. If I'm looking at Florida State, what I'm looking at is I'm looking at the stretch coming up right now. You've got a tough game on the road at Syracuse. Then you play number 12 Miami. Then Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech. And then the last three games, they are not going to be easy. On the road at Duke, at home versus Notre Dame, and at home versus Syracuse. It's nice that you get to end those last two at home, but still, quality opponents to end the season. Well, folks, there you have it, our last four in. And are we going to do our first four out? We are! We're going to have to check out the video on the YouTube page. We are doing that one video style. Yes, we are teasing you. Just like a freshman girl. So, just folks, a, make sure a, you... Just a little you, bit of a tease. You, you got to check it. That's why I said freshman. You know, <laughs> they, they ain't up to senior yet. They, they're not doing that. But, folks, make sure you check it out. going to be a good video. And that's going to do it for the Primetime Podcast here. It was a great podcast. Started off on that serious note, but we got to the bracketology in the end. And you guys can expect us to talk bracketology and bubble teams from now until... We get to March Madness. I want to thank you guys for checking out this podcast. If you're listening on SoundCloud, hit that nice, nice red heart. That's what hearts are colored. You can also hit that repost button, kind of look like the retweet button on Twitter. If you're on YouTube, go ahead, hit that subscribe button. If you're new, hit the like button. If you're not, even if you are, go ahead, hit that like button. It helps us out. You can follow me on Twitter at Ricky Widmer. Brandon is at young underscore swan 19. Most Valuable Podcast is at Most Valuable Pod. Thank you guys again for checking out this podcast. This is Ricky Widmer signing off for myself and Brandon Swanson. But as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. 
Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.